everyone, and welcome to the Cabot Cove Gazette, your favorite Murder, She Wrote podcast in hours two, and that of J.B. Fletcher, as we always say. I am your co-host, TJ. I'm Bridget. And we're here to talk about the episode, Corn, Beef, and Carnage. So, Bridget, why don't you give us a little bite-sized summary? Bite? <laughs> Is that like a pun on the episode title and the fact that the whole episode hinges on a sandwich? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so as the title suggests, uh, yeah, a guy is dead and there's a corned beef sandwich sitting next to him. And it turns out he is the boss of Jessica's niece, Victoria. So this is Victoria and Howard's second episode. And sadly, there is no drag in this episode. Um, and we get lots of scheming and wheeling and dealing among the Madison Avenue advertising set. And uh, Victoria didn't do it. Yes, I mean, we of course, if if there's a if there's a J.B. Fletcher relative involved, she obviously has to be pinned with the murder, which in this case she is, of course. So, what do we think of this episode? Well, I like this episode. I so why don't you? The only reason you asked me about is because you want to talk about how you don't like this episode. So why don't you just go ahead? I, I didn't. I wouldn't say that I hated it. Like I, like I wasn't bored, but I mean, there were some parts of it that were incredibly, incredibly gross. <laughs> well, yes, not the least of which. <laughs> is that Victoria's employer basically, like, uses her as a prostitute to get a big mm-hmm. client to sign on to the advertising agency, which I hoped that the client who owns this corned beef company would get, corned beef castle or whatever it's called, would be the one to get the, you know, whacked. You expected him to be the murder victim because he is so salacious and disgusting. He's a pig! Like, he is an absolute He pig. is totally gross. So we see him, like, rubbing Victoria's arm Ugh. and making comments about how he'd like to have dinner with her. Um, but it's actually her boss who is like, you're gonna have dinner with him alone. And she's like, no, I'm not. Like, my aunt is in town from Maine. And he's like, you're gonna have dinner with him alone. And then he doesn't say what he expects to happen after the dinner, but he says, that guy better be smiling tomorrow morning. Ugh, so I think it's, so it's, it's implied that he also expects her to sleep with him after dinner. The, I was I, kind of mortified. I mean, you know, even in the pre-Me Too era, this is pretty egregious. And it's even the only... Yeah, but you know what? I bet it happened to lots of women oh, in the 80s. I bet it still does. Yeah. I mean, it is a pretty like accurate snapshot of, you know, sort of 80s toxic corporate yeah. misogynist culture. Like, And this sort of cutthroat nature of advertising, right? right? Like, how badly do you want that account? And and the cutthroat nature of, like, getting ahead on the corporate ladder. Like, Victoria is the newcomer. But she's climbing because she's talented, and like, mm-hmm. how badly does she want to be a senior executive? You know, how much will, how far is she willing to go for that position? Right. I mean, I was reminded as I was watching this of Mad Men. I mean, I haven't really seen much of Mad Men, but that was clearly what I was thinking about as we mm-hmm. were watching the travails that Victoria and the things she has to jump through mm-hmm. as part of this culture as a woman, as a young woman. And so I was just like, yeah, I mean, this definitely jives with what I know about this particular kind of atmosphere in the 80s and today i mean it was like you know the guy was basically harvey weinstein like that was you know yeah i mean i think to that end like i think it makes sense that the boss is the one who ends up dead because he's the one who has the power to say no and like stop all this Right. right um but we should be clear that like victoria holds fast to her principles like she is not going to do this she and then she even is like no i'm gonna go have dinner with my family um, and ultimately she doesn't and she goes back to the office and we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I think it's important that like Victoria holds fast to her principles this whole time um, and that if she doesn't let herself get exploited. Yes. No, I think that I like that, that she stands up to him and is like, absolutely fucking not. 
She even quits her job, right? Yep. She's like, I quit. Not doing that. I quit. Even though she and Howard are having money problems, we're told they live paycheck to paycheck. She's currently supporting him because he can't get any roles as an actor, which raises this question for me, Teach. Like, why did they leave Hollywood? He got the job on the soap opera last time we saw him, right? Yeah, but I mean, if his if the if the brief commercial that we see of him, you know, performing <laughs> the commercial is any indication of his acting abilities, I can see why he probably didn't have much of a future in the industry. Like he lacks a certain, I don't know how would how would I put it, stay screen presence, shall we say? I mean, admittedly, he is advertising for what a funeral parlor a funeral or something. Parlor. Yeah, but even so, it's just like mm, I think the corpses probably show a little more life than than Howard is at this moment. I would like to maybe propose that they go back to Hollywood and uh, just try to reverse roles, and that perhaps <laughs> Victoria could be the one who shines in soap operas. Which is, of course, a reference to the fact that Victoria is played by Jeannie Francis, who was a soap queen. She was on General Hospital and others for right. many years. I mean, she, as, as her constant shifting career demonstrates, she is, if you'll pardon the expression, a Jill of all trades. So Yeah, because the next time we see her, she'll have yet another profession. Poor Victoria. I mean, clearly there's nothing this woman can't do. I and, mean, you know, she's kind of a wunderkind when it comes to, you know, advertising, from what we understand. You know, she's the one who comes up with all these great ideas, to, you know, that are helping to... How, I, I, it raises lots of questions for me because we never hear any specifics of any of these campaigns. Right. And, uh, like, how do you market corned beef exactly? <laughs> that was my like, question. What if I was involved like, in a corned beef marketing campaign? I mean, when was the last time we any of us saw an ad, like an advertisement for corned beef? I wasn't aware that was a product that needed a lot of advertisement. Like, I mean, if it's not like, I mean, maybe is it supposed to stand in for a product like Spam? Is that what we're supposed to understand? Because that I would get, because Spam was certainly a huge no, deal in the 80s. No, beef is not anything like Spam. What are you talking about? I I'm, I know that. I was just saying as a... I as feel a, like the corned beef castle is sort of like a a non... Well, it's a, we know it's a chain. They have multiple locations, but it's it's like an independently right. owned chain. So I feel like it's... It's like a smaller version of like Arby's, right? Where you go for like a roast beef sandwich, you go for a corned beef sandwich. Yeah, I guess that's probably, yeah, Arby's is probably what I guess what I would imagine. I lived somewhere and I have lived so many places now that I can't remember if it's where I currently live or not. But I lived somewhere where there was a place that was um, corned beef and egg rolls. Hmm, that's an interesting combination. It was a takeout place and those were your two options, corned beef or egg rolls. Hmm, interesting. Well, you want to hear a little... Trivia piece about about corned beef, about since we always talk about classic Hollywood. Yes, I do. So most of us are probably familiar with the studio Columbia. It still exists. It's just, you know, it was one of the, the smaller studios in the classic Hollywood era. And the the big wigs of Hollywood, you know, the, of the, the bigger studios and the more powerful magnates used to refer to it as corned beef and cabbage because it stood for like CBC because it was known for its, you know, its ba- being a very cheap studio and producing things on a shoestring budget. So they called it corned beef and cabbage, which I've always found to be a very music anecdote from classic Hollywood. Is it true? I don't know. But I just find it a very fun story to share. I'm outraged on behalf of all Irish people, for the record. Okay. How how dare you associate our food with being a lesser than studio? I mean, I'm Irish of, from many generations back, but I don't feel the same sense of umbrage that you do. I am very Irish. My grandparents were immigrants, but... um. Actually, the consuming of the corned beef happened on my dad's side of the family. Mm. There you go. Fun fact. Okay, listen. We got to talk about the murder now because we haven't even addressed that. We do it. So Larry Kincaid, the boss of the advertising agency, he's dead. He's bludgeoned to death with his advertising award. Which is very phallic, which seems appropriate. 
Yes, which of course Victoria picked up once because of course she did because we needed her to look guilty. Right. And um, I think teach what is horrible to what's horrifying to me uh, is that um, the time of the murder is somewhat imprecise in this episode. There's a little bit of a question mark as to who could have been the person to kill him because Jessica points out to the cop that when someone gets a blow to their head, they could languish for hours. Uh, so the guy's body is still warm when Victoria finds it. She's the one who finds it. She screams and the cops think, oh, you must have killed him and then screamed because his body is still warm. And Jessica's like, oh, no, that guy could have been hit for hours and just laying there dying. Really? <laughs> what is this detail? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was rather... This ma- is so not a murder she wrote detail. It's like really gruesome. It's a bit macabre, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's left ambiguous as to whether he was in fact languishing there for hours. Jesus. And then all these people have been like in and out of his office, um, we learn, you know, so they all become suspects. And uh, it's kind of, they're like, oh, he was dead. So I left. And it's like, was he? <laughs> Did you really check? He might have still been Wait, alive. Wait, pulse? Like, I mean, at some point you should have been like, hey, there's a dead body. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be the, the very least one could do in the circumstances. <laughs> So ultimately, he is murdered by one of his senior executives who, I love this whole storyline. The guy's under contract, um, and so he basically does nothing and gets paid for it. I mean, I don't, yeah, he's very resentful about this because it's, you know, subverting his career and his aspirations and his desire to succeed. I don't know, same- yeah, that's the thing. He's, he kills him because he's resentful, but like, why is he resentful? Like, he sounds like he has a great life. He doesn't have to work and he has to get paid. What a great contract. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, but if you consider yourself something of an artiste or, you know, that you're a, an ad genius, you know, you feel like your potential is being wasted and thwarted. I mean, we both know how that would feel. I mean, we're both ambitious people in our own way. Like, we're just shaking. Hell no. Somebody's going to pay me not to teach and not to do research? Sign me just up. Just so you know, Sounds listeners, great. if that were to be the case, Bridget would be messaging me every hour being like, bored. Bored. <laughs> bored. <laughs> and that's what she is not what she is constantly that's what busy. I do like five times a day I don't even say I'm bored or what are you doing I just say bored yes so I pardon <laughs> me if I'm a little bit skeptical about your claim that you would somehow settle into this period of you know lack of work I find that very hard if not impossible to believe so the senior account executive Aubrey he knows that Larry Kincaid that is going to sound like an edit like it's going to sound like a really abrupt edit but it wasn't it was just me like 100% changing your hacks now so so Aubrey knows that Larry orders a sandwich from the deli when he works late and I guess he knew Larry was going to be working late that night I sort of must have missed how and honestly I didn't rewind to check how, how did he know that Larry was going to be working late that night? Well, because, I mean, because doesn't Larry say that, you know, because once Victoria walks out, he's the one who has to take charge of the ad account. Like, so he and Aubrey is present for that conversation because oh, okay. Aubrey is present okay. whenever she he's having the argument with Victoria. And he's like, well, since you're not going to, like, seduce this guy for me, I'll have to just come up with the best ad campaign ever. <laughs> Can you imagine? Since you won't sleep with him, I guess we're going to have to do our jobs. Right. It's like, well, heaven forbid that you actually do the thing that you're getting paid clearly. Well, you're actually not getting paid. That's the other irony about this is that the corned beef king is not actually paying any of the expenses that he's running yes. up with this ad agency, which is he's now in the massively red. in debt and about to file for bankruptcy. Which I suppose is a bit of narrative punishment for being a total sleaze. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. 
you know, so he does get his comeuppance to some degree. Clearly, he's too busy seducing and, you know, abusing young women. His corned beef kingdom is going to collapse. Right. I feel sorry for his wife, who's played by Marsha Wallace, before she becomes Edna Krabappel. Um, like, she knows this is all going on. She does the best she can, clearly. I mean, the, I mean, I mean uh, maybe I don't feel sorry for her because if she knows this is all going on, why is she sticking exactly. with this guy? And why isn't she helping these women? Yes, I mean, that's, the, but I, I will say that, you know, even though she's only on screen for a very brief amount of time, there's still something incredibly charming about Marsha Wallace. Like, I don't know if it's her big smile mm-hmm. or if it's just like her loud personality. Like, there's always something about her that's just a pleasure to see. And I, you know, as, mm-hmm. as one of the most sort of, you know, someone who's more famous, I think, for her voice than her physical appearance, just because, as you say, she's Edna Krabappel. On The Simpsons. Right. But I mean, some of us would have recognized her from, you know, other things, Newhart. Or, Newhart. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or, or the Bob Newhart know, show, not Newhart. That's what I meant, the Bob Newhart show, or for being on Password, uh, you know, or her game show appearances. But I mean, for most people our age, uh, you know, it's always fun to see her in, in person and not just by her voice. Totally. Yeah. And um, David Ogden Steers, uh, Stiers, Stiers. <laughs> plays the um, Aubrey, the murderer. And um, right. I think we to go back to the murder, you know, it's, he masks, he knows this guy orders a sandwich every night. And so he dresses up as the deli delivery guy with like a cooler with a sandwich in it and everything. And he sneaks past the doorman because the doorman's like new. Right. Sneaks past him in disguise to kill this guy. Right. Which is like really diabolical. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, I will say, I mean, the disguise, though, was a little bit on the nose. <laughs> like, it's one of the more cliched elements of this episode. He put on, like, a beanie and, like, a, a jumpsuit. A pair of sunglasses. He looks like the Unabomber. He looks like the Unabomber more than he looks. He does look like the Unabomber. <laughs> like, if I... And it's like, it's like... If I was... What is it, like, 9.30 at night? Yes! If I, it's like, if I was a security guard and someone walked in wearing sunglasses... At nine thirty in the in the evening, it's not nine thirty. I just because I know someone's gonna p- stay on. Whatever, social media. it's still nighttime though. Victoria comes at nine fifteen, so this is before then. But even so, he's inside. Who wears sunglasses inside? It doesn't raise an like. It doesn't raise any suspicion. Bank robbers and people with black eyes. <laughs> like it's not going to raise any suspicion. I was once on the CTA, the red line. Uh, for Chicago people uh, at Wilson. It was the Wilson stop. It was midnight or thereabouts, right? On like a, I don't know, like a Tuesday. And uh, all of a sudden someone, it's August. It's like a hundred degrees outside. Train is hot and steamy. Someone got on in a full sweatsuit with the hood pulled over their head with a ski cap underneath that with a pair of sunglasses on and a duffel bag. And I was like, nope. <laughs> Jump off the train. Like, <laughs> Was there an explosion later? Because that's certainly not where that sounds like that story is going to end that up. That is not going anywhere good. <laughs> and I think that's what you would probably think with this delivery guy, right? You see him with this cooler and his sunglasses and his beanie. And you're like, Mm-mm, something's up. Nope. <laughs> but the security guy's like, ah. He does look, what does he say? He says something like one of those toughs. I don't know. He uses some kind of colloquial expression to describe, um, you know, those type of people who do deliveries. And I'm like, what kind of delivery people do you have in New York? Are they, like, seriously? I mean, I don't know much about New York. I'm still a small town boy, but I. I, It's rough to be a delivery person, man. You arm yourself. I guess. guess. And you wear sunglasses (laughs) indoors. It's like, okay. 
<laughs> to protect yourself from all the fluorescent lights. <laughs> oh, it's just laughable. But I mean, it it works, I suppose. I mean, clearly, you know, he then he bludgeons this guy to death with a with a, an award. Yes, which he like his final line of the episode is like sort of celebrating the irony of using the award to murder this guy. Right. And of course, he's entrapped when he blurts out that he knows that the... Because at the, at this point, Jessica's with the cop. They try to entrap Aubrey by having him speak to the deliver or the, the security guard to see if the security guard recognizes him. But then he blurts out that, oh, you know, something about he knows the security guard. That he was a security guard, but this guard wasn't in he's uniform. He's like, well, how would you have known that unless you would actually... Yeah, of course, you know, the tra- in traditional... And he'd be, he wouldn't have known him fashion. from his daily job because this is the night security guard. He was newly hired. And we're told right. repeatedly that Aubrey always leaves early because he doesn't do any work. Right. And this is another of those moments where, like, the criminal's like, well, you got me. And then just, you know, crumbles on the spot. <laughs> He does. You know, it. Um, I don't know what is going on with Murder, She Wrote, Teach. Like, that. that's my last note for this episode. Like, what happened to our cozy endings? Yeah. Because this is our, I mean, we just had unfinished business and two episodes ago. And now we have another episode that ends with the murderer explaining what they've done, not totally regretting it. And that's it. I mean, this time yeah. we don't freeze on him at least, which we did in Unfinished Business. This time we freeze on Jessica and this sort of combination of shock and sadness on her face. But that's it. I would call it pensive. That's what I was thinking. She looks why like didn't, pensive. Why didn't they save the Howard and Victoria reunion when they work out their marriage and have that be the coda so that we can have our cozy ending? What is going on with Murder, She Wrote? Well, let's talk about that uh, that reunion. Ugh, do we have Victoria. to talk about Howard and Victoria? It's so gross. Only because it's gross, and I th- but I think it ties in with this episode's rather awkward engagement with genderish and poly- and sex and everything else related to that. Okay, so so Victoria's working all the time. Right. Howard can't get a job. They have all this money trouble. Their marriage is struggling because they're both feeling totally disconnected from each other and not talking about it. And they both individually go to Jessica and say basically the same thing. And she's like, Jesus Christ, just talk to each other. Right. Why are you coming to me? Right. So then, go ahead and you can tell them the gross part, because I don't need to. So then they get a pizza, and that's a whole thing. Where, like, the, the delivery guy delivers the wrong pizza, and then JB's like, well... Okay, the pizza they were trying to order sounds really weird, too. Right, what was it? It was, like, pepperoni and pastrami like, or something? Pastrami. Like, I didn't know... What's with all the salty cured meats in this episode? I don't Who know. Who orders I don't a know. pastrami pizza? I don't, that was... I was... Yeah. And instead, it's, like, something in it's anchovies. anchovy and olive, which is, like... Gross, but like that's a normal pizza at least. Why were so many people in the eighties eating anchovies on pizza? That's what I like to know. Like everybody, probably was salt. Eating it. We probably had like an iron deficiency or something. I guess, culture. but I mean, think about it. Like every time I like pizzas referred to in pop culture in the eighties, it's, it's true. anchovies. <laughs> it's, Garfield, it either has the anchovies or someone wants the anchovies, and everyone or, thinks it's gross, or it accidentally comes with anchovies. Yeah, like the, the Ninja it's true. Turtles. It's a whole thing in the eighties. Yep. Garfield. Murder, she wrote. Why always anchovies? Was it big ancho? Was the big anchovy like <laughs> industry like this pain? What would it be today? Like when people look back in thirty years on today, what what would it be? Well, it's still pineapple. That's sort of the thing that is still ubiquitous. As it's far kind as... of the perennial like, is this good or bad thing? But yeah. I don't know if there, is there like a trendy ingredient today that we always talk about on no pizza? nowadays. It's just like what kind of uh, what kind of disgusting thing can people make that looks like pizza? Cauliflower like, crust. Yeah, shit like that. It's like God, just make fucking pizza. Like it's not that anyway. Not Says just... the guy who yesterday who was all in a tizzy because he couldn't find non to make non pizza. 
I don't think asking for naan is too much to ask for. Like, it's a pretty... Just make a pizza. Just use pizza dough. Come on. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But anyway, not to go on too much of a tangent on the pizza. So they order the pizza. Right. So then then Jessica gets the pizza. The delivery guy, she then tips the delivery guy who orders, delivers the wrong pizza and doesn't even offer to take it back, even though he delivered clearly what is the wrong pizza. I know. I don't. Whoever wrote this, I, this is just not, everything that you're about to say is just not JB. Yeah. And then, then Howard and, and, and Victoria start making out and like, not just making out, but like eating each other's faces. Like they're practically, di- as Sophia would put it, the Golden Girls, they're practically digesting each other. <laughs> and then yeah, Jessica. With like all the Casio music in the background. disgusting. And then Jessica's like, well, just as you are, as you are, I'll, I'll, I'll leave and I'll, I'll be gone for a long She's time. She's like, just- oh, I'm going out. <laughs> I'll be back later. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're like devouring each After other. After you finish like, having sex, I'll be back. <laughs> it's awful. And then they, <laughs> like Howard sweeps her into his arms and walks into the bed, but which is all fine. But I mean, if it was no, in a it's different, not fine. Well, it's it's like, not fine. If it it's was an, awful. I'm if, I'm scarred by this episode. I mean, if this was a different show, like that would be. Okay, With I guess. Your auntie who just came all the way from right, Maine like, in I'm the room. Like, this is not like, okay. I'm just like, what is even happening right now? Like, yeah. why are we being subjected to this image of these two people that ugh, it just was right? And, and and we're not supposed to think ek, right? Like, it's all framed as if this is like totally romantic. Like, right. these two people are reconnecting. Isn't it sweet? And like Jessica's smiling, and then she's gonna leave so they can have sex. Like. <laughs> And we're and there's like this music, this like Casio '80s, you know, faux romantic music. So it's supposed to be like, oh, heartwarming. I am my heart is not warm. I am barfing. Right. I mean, if if I cared more about Victoria, which Victoria is fine, but Howard is ugh, like he's just ugh, he's just he's well, no great. It's not his fault. He's floundering since he quit doing drag. Okay, like that was where he shined. Well, their marriage has a lot more issues than their than their income inequality. <laughs> is all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, the grossness aside, okay, I will say that one of the things I did truly love about this episode was David Augenstiers. And I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of that is because I really just love him as an actor. Like, I've loved him for my entire life, ever since he was Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast, which was probably my first, like, conscious awareness of him as a person. Yes. Um, oh, well, he, MASH. I, well, I meant conscious. Like, I mean, I watched MASH as a kid, but not like... Yeah. It's... I didn't associate the name David Alden Styers until I, you know, heard him as Cogsworth. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, he was in so many Disney movies. Wait, he the was 90s. Cogsworth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I knew that, but it's like just kind of just actually registering right now. He was Cogsworth. Mm-hmm. Jerry Orbach is Lumiere. Yeah. Jerry Orbach was Lumiere. And of course, and Mrs. Angela is Mrs. Potts. Potts. My mind is blown right now. I mean, was Robbie Benson in any episodes of Marty She Wrote? Because, like, that would just complete the whole, that would just complete the whole tapestry. Who's Robbie Benson? The voice of the beast. Oh, I don't know that. Should I know that? Is that a thing people know? I mean, if you're a Disney aficionado, you do, but... Anyway. anyway my point being is that David Alton Cyrus is very gracious and cultured, like, even in this very minor role where he's not Charles Emerson Winchester III. Like, there's just something very urbane about mm-hmm. David Alton Stiers, regardless of what he's in. Like, there's just something very cultured about his demeanor. I yes. suspect that I'm picking up on his queerness because he is gay in real life, or was gay in real life, um, as he revealed in 2009. But there's just something always very crisp about him. And he's very classy. Well, I think, and I think it, the episode 
um, has all these sort of like binary foils, right? Like we read him as like cultured and decent mm-hmm. because he's contrasted with Larry, who's sleazy and will do anything to get ahead. And like right. Aubrey is actually scheming with Larry's brother Myron to take over the company and like do it the right way and like right. let Victoria use her ideas instead of her body, you know, and he presents that idea to her. So he seems like very avuncular and decent. Like right. a good colleague in a way that like Larry doesn't. And speaking of other people that were, you know, this is a, a pretty good episode when it comes to guest stars. Like we have Susan Anton. Yeah. So she's like the, I think our sort of binary foil to Victoria, right? So she's been in advertising a long time. She's jaded. She, she like does anything to keep things going. Like she goes to Larry and pretends she wants a job with him and then steals right. Victoria's ideas while she's there. She hires Howard to be in the funeral parlor commercial, but it's actually just so that they can blackmail him. Like, if you want this job, Victoria needs to come work for us. So I think she's supposed to contrast Victoria, who's like the younger, Mm -hmm. more innocent, um, sort of less despicable version of like corporate America. Yep, I would agree. And they're both like blonde bombshells. Yes, yes. That was my first thought when I was like, wow, they really look a lot alike. And of course, we have Bill Macy, who plays... um, Yes. The, old, you know, the, the other brother who's in charge of the ad agency. Lord. So I, 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 I thought it was a pretty robust guest cast. Um, guest star roster. I just want to week. talk about um, Christine Clifford played by Susan Anton's hair. I know mm. that we're supposed to focus on Jessica's fashion, um, but like it's just so hard to ignore like the the hairspray, the, the side of the hair, like hairsprayed away from the ears. It was just such a like iconic 80s look that I myself did many times. And she just looks amazing with it. And her mm-hmm. bangs. Now one, one, right. And now one character I didn't like was the detective who I thought was possibly one of the most grating of detectives that we've seen. Ah, oh, sir. Okay, go ahead and say why. And then I'll tell you why you're wrong. I mean, he's just obnoxious. Like, he's one of those ones... I mean, he's not, like, antagonistic to Jessica as much as most, but he's just... He's a he's a motor mouth. That's the word I'm looking for. He's just constantly talking, but saying nothing much of substance. And I just find that, you know, as someone who also talks a lot, but not to, to a lot of substance, I tend to find that <laughs> a deep flaw in others. So I was just like, oh, will you shut up already, please? I just... Okay, well, he's played by James Sloyan, who is, like, uh, he plays a Romulan in The Next Generation, and then he plays, like, Odo's scientist dad person in deep face nine and so i just have this abiding affection for him so i really like seeing him i think he's great so you're wrong i'm giving, th- also, I'm giving like, a huge uh, thumbs down right now to this whole he hates my star trek references but also like uh i think what's interesting is that he starts out being the typical like oh victoria i'm gonna arrest you because it's so obvious and both of you and jessica are so stupid because it's so obvious and then really quickly he's like jessica's like why don't you just give me a couple of days to investigate and he's like okay yeah. And then, like, the next thing we know, she's, like, in an interrogation room with a suspect, questioning the suspect with him. Like, like virtually deputized, right? Right. So he, I think you and I have talked before about, like, what is the relationship between the law enforcement and her? And I think in this case, it's less annoying than it could be because he sort of recognizes that he's wrong and pigheaded and, like, dials it back. Yeah, no, I think that in the last half of the episode, you're right, that he is more palatable. It's just in the early half where I was just like, oh, could you please just stop talking for like five minutes? I would really appreciate it. You know, the guest star's name that we haven't said is Richard Klein, who Mm. plays Larry Kincaid. And Richard Klein is probably best known to people as Jack Tripper's friend Mm. Larry from Three's Company. Ah, yes, 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 yes. 
So there we go. Yeah. So where do we come down on this episode altogether? Well, I'm not eating corned beef anytime soon. That's for sure. I mean, I thought it was fine. Like, I enjoyed it. I mean, other than the gross... It's fine, except for the Victoria and Howard makeout scene. And, it's the, just, it's, and the pig it's, who's in charge of... It's just rude, right? Yeah. Like, actually, Victoria's behavior throughout the whole episode really troubles me because she... Jessica's come from Maine to have lunch with her. She blows them off for lunch. And Jessica... This is... I'm telling you, something's up with Jess this week because Jessica's like, business first, I understand. Mm-hmm. And then they're... Okay, so we'll have dinner. And then she, like bumps dinner back all the way to like nine because she's so busy and then she bails anyway like and then she bails anyway like just leaves a note for howard at the apartment like and then when they she does finally see jessica it's she's like i gotta go have sex with my husband now so bye so i just i'm like appalled by her behavior he's just very rude and then the fact that jessica just sort of like rolls with it is mind-blowing to me yeah I feel like if Grady tried any of this shit, there would be a moment where she'd be like, Grady, listen. Yeah, she would not tolerate this from Grady. That is true. She'd be like, "Uh, you need to straighten up my my friend and not act like this. Maybe this is the other side of the family or something. Maybe this is like one of her, um, because she mentions in the next episode that she had sisters. Maybe this is like her sister's kid. Yeah. Her sister will yell at her if she's mean to the kid or something. Maybe. Yeah. We'll go with that headcanon. Frank's dead, so she can yell at his nephew all she wants right i mean grady needs a lot more work i mean grady needs like you know he needs he needs a lot of Jess's intervention to function as a person it's true i mean victoria did get mixed up in an ad agency where there was a murder but it wasn't really her fault i mean it's her fault for marrying a loser but i know she did quit and he is not a loser he is a drag He's... performer who is misunderstood by his generation and she quit her job before she had another one, He's which a is loser. really stupid, which David Ogden Stiers rightly tells her is stupid. Um, and I just think, as I thought with Birds of a Feather, that Aunt Jess is going to be paying the bills on their apartment for a long time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to end. So, for the Cabot Cove Gazette, I am TJ. I'm Bridget. And we will talk to you next week. The Cabot Cove Gazette's theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada, used under Creative Commons license. You can find us on social media. We're Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs>